Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm with you as always. I'm the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. We're located in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague and fierce competitor, um, Carl Truman, who uh, teaches at some school in the outer reaches of Western Pennsylvania, there on the on the very edge of the known world, uh, where he regularly has to battle against uh, marauding bands of troglodytic, uh, you know, zombies, that kind of thing. Isn't that kind of what goes on in Western Pennsylvania, it is, Carl? Uh, strange banjo playing children who hang yes. out in the woods and all kinds of creepy stuff goes that's on. What that's what i thought that's what i thought it's kind of extension of appalachia which is right really, well in a lot yeah i mean you're you're, you're rust belt you're rust belt out there aren't you it is well it's more yeah. agricultural actually we're but okay. it's very much like where i grew up in the uk i grew up in farmland in the countryside so well there you go so 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 other than you know having lived in philadelphia for a while densely populated urban centers are, are are not kind of your native territory. And the reason why I bring that up, because without getting into the details, I just want to put it out there um, that Carl was in the, was it the Dallas area recently? <laughs> oh, yes. I'm in Dallas. <laughs> and, 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 oh, and, yes. and Carl uh, was facing the, uh, uh, he, he he ended up at the wrong house one night where he was headed. I did. Um, and, and, you, and you ended up. Gun. And you ended up on the business side of a of, of a gun for a while from some angry uh, was, resident. I was held sort of hostage for about 20 minutes by a guy threatening to blow my brains out. I won't give you the exact phraseology sure, he uses. Sure. It would not be repeatable on a family program. But right, Is that right. because he had yeah. read one of your books? <laughs> he, <laughs> he read one of the books and he was so angry <laughs> and frustrated. Uh. It, it drove it drove him nearly to murder and uh, so seriously, it, it is interesting i've always wondered you know what would i feel if i thought i was about to die well you now had that I, opportunity now i know yeah i remained weirdly calm and the strange thing is i was i feel strangely untraumatized by yeah, it well, um, well you're I've english telling the students with a laugh about it all week i'm a sort of legend on campus now i um, guess but yeah, very nearly had to text the president from this driveway in Dallas and say, you might need somebody to teach my classes next week <laughs> as I'm Did about you, to die. In those moments, obviously, <laughs> your thoughts would have run to your your wife, your your children, your granddaughter. At any point, was there a thought of me? Was, was there anything? You know, I really need to <laughs> I, ask Todd's forgiveness think, for anything. No, no, I did think of you. And it was a kind oh. of, well... I won't see Todd again. So there is an upside. There's, to there's an upside for that. Well, that's good. Was there ever a thought of you're going to miss out on that interview that was scheduled with Thad Williams <laughs> a new book? Who's Thad Williams? The world here. Yeah. I, I, I can tell you that Dr. Johnson's claim that, you know, uh, was it Dr. Johnson or G.K. Chester who said, if a man knows he's about to be hanged in 30 minutes, it focuses it his mind focuses wonderfully. Focuses the mind, yes. Uh, yeah, my mind was very focused. And I also discovered that my 
this kind of sports watch thing works because later that night I went to look at the stress levels, found wow. the 20 minute <laughs> slot when I was being held at gunpoint and nice. stress level of 100%. Burn <laughs> some calories. It's all good. Yeah. I have I mean, to that, that's like being on a my, Peloton for like two hours. So that's great. Yeah. I mean, I must've burned a lot of calories. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, well let, let's use this helpful discussion as a segue um, into uh, introducing our guest today. Actually, this is the second time that uh, uh, Thaddeus Williams has been with us. That is the professor of theology at Biola University in California. You know, that's a whole other discussion. We won't get into that today, but <laughs> how, how people live there. But um, yeah, he's a return guest with us. Some of you will remember the interview we did with him um, several years ago on his um excellent book dealing with issues of uh, justice and how to understand those uh, through a biblical uh, lens. Well, uh, his uh, his latest uh, book um, is entitled uh, Don't Follow Your Heart, uh, Boldly Breaking the Ten Commandments of Self-Worship. Um, I, I kind of like to refer to this as um, the really coherent and accessible and readable version of uh, rise and triumph of the modern self and so we are we are indebted uh to uh to professor williams for for bringing us this book hey thanks for joining us yeah you know my students describe it as a strange new world plus rise and triumph of the modern self but interesting oh wow that is <laughs> that's, that's outstanding I, I think carl referred to it earlier as the poor man's rise and triumph of the modern self <laughs> oh, so the, the unthinking man's rise the, the unthinking <laughs> we're gonna raise the stage he decided to meet the book because he actually wrote the foreword and then the foreword, <laughs> oh, i did oh i did this is the book i wish i wrote <laughs> you know? and man that needs to be in fact would you would you get that like on a coffee mug or a t-shirt and send that to me? Oh, I would, it's done. Yeah. Go to the website better I, than rise and triumph.com. <laughs> better than rise and triumph.com. I'd appreciate that. the URL. Outstanding. <laughs> well, listen, um, in all seriousness, where, uh, what was the occasion for the book? Where does it come from? Uh, it actually comes from on the cover. There is a beautiful young lady who happens mm -hmm. to be my daughter. Uh, one of my three daughters, Holland Williams, who we call Dutch for short. Mm -hmm. And for years and years, my wife and I have played Spot the Lie with the kids, whatever they're watching, whatever YouTube clip, whatever, you know, Disney show. If they can spot a falsehood, explain why it's false, they get a dollar. And That's so great. this was going back three or four years ago. And Dutch comes leaping joyfully down the stairs. Daddy, daddy, you owe me another dollar. <laughs> What'd you find this time, darling? And she had been watching a commercial for whatever, you know, fairy, pixie, rainbow, princess, whatever. And she <laughs> said, dad, the, the commercial told me to follow my heart. I said, okay, well, spot the lie. And she said, and this is verbatim, it's like permanently filed away in the proud daddy moments in my, my memory. She said, Daddy, I don't want to follow my own heart. My heart has fallen. I'd way rather follow God's heart. Wow. And I just oh, yeah, absolutely. wrap my arms around her. And she got she got five dollars for that one. <laughs> uh, Well-earned five dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was really the inspiration, realizing just how countercultural it is to say, don't follow your heart these days. Mm -hmm. Because the propaganda to 
um, to obey your emotions under expressive individualism, this idea that I have a moral duty to be true to myself mm-hmm. um, is so ubiquitous uh, that it really is pretty revolutionary, radically countercultural to say something like follow God's heart instead of our own. So that was yeah. that was the impetus for this book and what landed her spot on the cover of the book. That's good. Now, like me, Thaddeus, you teach uh, young people, sort of 18 to 22-year-olds. What do you think are the the primary pathologies of that current? And let's be clear, of course, Biola and Grove City, they're not necessarily representative because they're both Christian colleges, universities. So the students are are somewhat self-selecting, but they're not isolated or impervious to the wider culture what would you identify as the the key features of that 18 to 22 year old age bracket that that sure. we need to be aware of as we think about how to make the faith plausible and compelling to them yeah so with the shift from following god's heart to following your own heart comes an entire generation that's been raised on that propaganda um now bears the crushing weight of the creator-sized task of creating and sustaining an identity over time. You know, that, that's a God-sized task. And when, that, when that's been heaped on the shoulders of a finite creature, I, I find um, crippling anxiety uh, with many students, um, a deep sense of depression, um, there's there's a kind of existential angst, um, which is, is sort of the predictable result of erasing the creator-creature distinction uh, and telling a, an 18-year-old, now, go, go be true to yourself. Well, which self? Go follow your heart. Well, which part of my heart? Um, and, and so I find along with that goes, I think, one of the defining marks of, of Gen Z, in my experience, is taking themselves extremely seriously, taking themselves extremely seriously where um, I I have a a good friend at Talbot, a good mentor, uh, JP Moreland. He's been a a mentor and friend of mine for over 20 years. And our office doors are about a first down apart from each other in, in Talbot East. And I just bumped into him yesterday morning, actually. And his his greeting is good morning idiot and uh and and we constantly razz each other and i remember back in the day as a grad student uh when he would call me idiot i thought like man like what an insensitive jerk and the more i got to know him <laughs> i realized that what he's up to there is actually something deeply biblical that when we take god seriously it frees us up from having to take ourselves mm. all that seriously. Mm. And so his, his sort of morning uh, liturgy is to remind people around them that they aren't the center point of existence. And so I, I try to do that as much as possible to, to have a countercultural impact on my students, remind them the universe doesn't revolve around them, remind them that their feelings aren't the sacred, authoritative standard of reality, but that actually what God says should be taken a lot more seriously with the wisdom of G.K. Chesterton, right? That that angels can fly because they take themselves so lightly. Hmm. It's interesting to me. Those British people occasionally get things right. You know? 
<laughs> well, they just have a way of putting things. And without the accent, though, I don't think they would be nearly as impressive. But, um, you know, even as you were saying that, and I had this thought um, a few days ago when I was uh, reading a portion of your book also is, um, I, you know, I wonder uh, about the nexus between um, our tendency to take ourselves very seriously, the fact that uh, my heart and what I feel matters supremely. If there's a nexus between that and and what we're seeing now with with the rise of um, the social cachet of of victimhood and um, uh, the enshrining of my feelings to the extent that what would never have been considered bullying 20 years ago, but just rather kind of common behavior has now become something that could get you run out of town. Sure. Yeah. And that, that again, sort of harkens back to the erasing of the creator creature distinction under, under what in the book I describe as this cult of self, uh, the self it is a fully orbed religion. Expressive individualism has become a, a religion in in a deep sense. It's got adherents uh, and and patron saints and prophets. So you got, you know, eighty four percent of Americans think that the meaning of life is to make yourself happy, right? So sort of inverting the Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man for this generation is to enjoy and glorify myself forever. You have 86% of Americans saying to live the happy life, do what you desire most. And 91% saying to find the answers, look within. And so now in this new religion, it has its own systematic theology. It has its own dogmatic substructure Mm -hmm. where the theology proper, the finite self takes on all the roles traditionally held by the creator. And so now in the same way that if I were to deny, let's say uh, the omnibenevolence of God or the sovereignty of God or something, I would be committing heresy um, because I'd be denying any central attribute of God's identity. Well, once the self fills those God-sized shoes, if anybody out there dares question my identity, it's not just a finite human disagreeing with a fellow finite human and agreeing to disagree or anything like that. It's damnable heresy. It's it's blaspheming. You're, you're transgressing against, you know, what, what Arthur Leff, um, legal theorist and philosopher, called godlets. We've all become godlets. We're tiny little gods. And so anybody who doesn't uh, celebrate my self-chosen identity is is by definition heretical who needs to be silenced right yeah yeah seems to me what you're describing there thaddeus and indeed i think this is this underpins a lot of the book is we're really dealing with the way we imagine the world to be Hmm. but a lot of this is intuitive it's not the result of somebody reading an argument and being compelled by the logic of an argument. It, it's, you know, to use the cliche, it's kind of the air that we breathe. Mm. And that seems to me to imply that the the pastoral task or the apologetic task is, is complicated. <laughs> so state the obvious. Right. How do we go about, you know, one, one way of looking at what you've said, we'd say the thing is that the people today, Christians and non-Christians, we're trapped within that, 
Charles Taylor imminent frame. We 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 think of everything in terms of this world. Even as Christians, we do that. Right. How do we re? I, I hear a lot of talk about re-enchantment. re-enchantment. I, I, I'm not so persuaded that that word really gets at what we need. How do we? How do we get a grasp of transcendence again? How do yeah. we recapture yeah. that sense of? Not only is the universe much bigger than me, but God is so much bigger than the universe. How do we make that? Im- how do we form the imagination relative to that? Yeah, I think we can sort of tear a page from the Old Testament prophets um, playbook here, where you read Psalm uh, 115 is a good example, where in the ancient Near East, they're bowing down to these stone deities these man-made, man-crafted, human-manufactured gods. Uh, and, and this is a running theme in the prophetic literature, a, a mockery, a, a, an expose of just how inadequate these man-made deities are. And so Psalm 115, you get statements like, you know, they don't speak, um, they, don't, they don't move. Um, and then the psalmist draws the connection and says, those who make them become like them. You worship a rock. You're going to become as dumb as a rock, mm-hmm. right? That, so there's something to exposing the idols of a given age in terms of how how they fail to deliver on their promises. And so I argue uh, that the argument kind of comes to a head in a little manifesto at the end of the book, where I say that this the self worship it promises uh, our most awesome life, but it actually robs us of awe. It markets itself as cutting edge, but it's hopelessly outdated. It, it harkens back to Genesis 3, the literally the oldest lie in the book that we can be like gods crafting our own reality. Commands us to follow our hearts, but our hearts are divided and depraved. Encourages us to be true to ourselves and makes us unwitting devotees to miserable men and ideologues. Tells us to be our own moral masters, but strips us of courage and credibility calls us to the rush of unfettered experience and adventure, but really becomes impossibly dull because if I'm the highest standard of reality and moral reality in my own meaning, that there's nothing bigger and above myself to, to be willing to live and if need be die for life becomes instead of a vertical ascent, a hero's journey, it, it flattens everything out into this, this dull plateau of tr- chasing my own subjectivity, tells us the answers are within, that's where the problems are, beckons us to be authentic, true to our emotions, but really if my emotions are sacred and unquestionable, I'm not authentic, I'm arrogant, claims we can break the structure of reality, but reality breaks us back, and advertises itself as loving, but makes bigots and haters of us all. So, So the big point here to your question, Carl, is exposing just how inadequate the God of self is compared to the actual God. And so I do some some work in the book showing that there is a shared human need to be awestruck. And there's a lot of science here that's catching up with the scripture that when we're in a state of awe, it's something bigger than ourselves. We become, uh, in the words of Paul Piff, a a positive psychologist, we become more pro-social, less self-absorbed. Michelle Shiota out of Arizona State University found that when people are in a mental state of awe, 
they're less easy to dupe by fallacious arguments. So our mm. cognitive faculties are sharper when we're in a state of awe. And so I argue that what the Old Testament would call yira, the, the fear of the Lord, reverence for God, awe for the maker, um, because of the creator-creature distinction, he's truly awesome. It, you could just run through his attributes. The fact that God is sovereign, enthroned, king of the universe, controlling supernovas and distant galaxies and every subatomic particle, the fact that God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, the fact that God is gracious and merciful. Now we meet the source of all that is awesome. And, and so to reach the next generation, I think it's convincing people what deep down they already know, that they aren't nearly as awesome as they like to think, and showing them a being who is truly worthy, who can truly scratch that that existential itch that we all have to be truly awestruck. If um, if you had an opportunity to sit down with Christian parents, let's say let's let's say you're invited to a church and you're given an hour, and in the room you've got Christian parents, you've got some children's ministry directors, you've got some youth pastors. Given that our that everything you warn about in this book is being taught to our children actively through every conceivable input all week, every day, they're being catechized every single day actively by the world in everything you're warning against. Given that, um, what would you say to that room full of interested, invested Christian people as the here, here's what you would counsel them. Here's what I would counsel you to, to make as priorities yeah. Um, for your children as you're guiding them, parents, sure. children's ministry directors, youth pastors. Yeah, e- easy question. In three, three words, buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, I, I should have known that. I I, I should have I should have realized that. And you know, here next here question. Yeah. That was an easy one. <laughs> um no, no, I would say um you know, it's important to form, you know, Jamie Smith has done a lot of work on, on cultural liturgies and how uh, self-worship. We, we have something as simple as online shopping can be a liturgy to uh, inculcate habits of, of narcissism and, and my desires are what's really running the show. So I think uh, it's important, and I explore in the book, at the end of every chapter, I have uh, what's called a heretics field manual. Um, heretics in the sense of we are rebelling against, we are rejecting the dogmas of self-worship. And so at the end of every chapter, I list, here's five or six habits um, you can begin forming as as counter liturgies um, so that we are actually following God's heart instead of our own. And so something we do in the Williams home and the table right behind me here. Um, is on Mondays, you know, my wife and I have four kids on Mondays around the dinner table, we will do Magnificent Monday. We just go around, what's something magnificent about who God is? We will do uh, Terrible Tuesdays. What's something terrible that we could lift up before a sovereign God? Uh, we do Wicked Wednesdays. Let's get honest with each other. What's something we've done that's that's sinful and falling short that we can bring to the cross of Jesus? Uh, we'll do thankful Thursdays. What's something to express gratitude 
to God for, and then freaked out Fridays with something that maybe we're anxious about, um, that again, we can bring before an enthroned God who, who runs the universe. And by habituating that, they're learning, you know, on Wicked Wednesdays that they actually are depraved and in need of grace and, and their feelings should be questioned and they aren't the moral authority in the universe. Uh, Magnificent Mondays, they're learning to be awestruck by something bigger than themselves. You know, Thankful Thursdays, they're learning that they aren't entitled, but but they should say thanks because everything good, true, beautiful, and awesome is a gift of God. So, yeah, I would tell a room full of parents, a room full of youth pastors, a room full of leaders, it's not enough to just sort of say, boo, expressive individualism. Um, Let's get to the work of solid biblical Christianity, living out as a counterculture um, liturgies that show we revere God more than our own hearts. It's really helpful. So you're actually suggesting that um, those ordinary daily um, moments in family life could actually make a difference. Yeah, they can be revolutionary. <laughs> Imagine that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's marvelous. Revolutions yeah. start around the dinner table, biblical revolutions. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Well, it's been great to have you on the program, Thaddeus, and we do want to commend your book to our listeners. It's entitled Don't Follow Your Heart, Boldly Breaking the Ten Commandments of Self-Worship, with a beautiful picture of Thaddeus's daughter, Dutch, uh, on the front. also contains something we haven't mentioned, and that is that uh, each chapter is accompanied by a kind of testimony from a Christian. Um, Monique Dussan, who's been on this program, is, is one of them, a uh, Johnny of course, who is well known to all of our listeners, uh, is also one of those who contribute. So it's a very rich book. It's a very practical book. Uh, we certainly want to commend it to you, our listeners. Uh, and as Thaddeus himself said, you know, the best thing you can do if you've got a problem in this life is go and buy his book. Uh, <laughs> and but- thanks to you, Carl, for writing the uh, the forward to it. That was, that was very generous. <laughs> That's Okay. <laughs> uh, yep, enjoy doing that. I have to say, the foreword is worth the price of the book. Oh, <laughs> I'm still in crippling debt for how much I had to pay you to get that. But, uh, but, you know, uh, I'm doing if you wish to visit our website. <laughs> I'm doing fine with one kidney. You know, I had to sell one. <laughs> for Truman's forward. Uh, yeah, the website, www.jointheheretics.com. There you go. .com. There's a there's a promo video. There's all kinds of bonus content um, that can be unlocked. There's actually an album that I wrote and recorded that goes along with the book, sort of a soundtrack to it. Um, there's all kinds of interviews and and articles. So www.jointheheretics.com would be a good good place. Excellent. Thanks very much. Um, We too have our own website, mortificationspin.org. And if you choose to visit that, uh, you can enter a draw and stand a chance to win a copy of uh, Thaddeus's book. And if while you're visiting the website, uh, you feel led to make a donation, uh, please do so. Remember, we are a listener supported podcast. And that just leads me to thank you once again for joining us for this program. Thank our guest, Thaddeus Williams, and to say that we look forward to being with you all next time.
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Thank you.